Welcome back to the House of Wisdom podcast, how ideas can shape the world. I am Deepak Mawar, an academic. And I'm Carl Lewis, also an academic. Brilliant. So I think as you can tell, I have a new co-host. It's amazing. I'm really happy about it. <laughs> he's, he's an upgrade from the last guy I had. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <And> what? <laughs> Too much um, pressure. No, nah, no. You, I mean, we we had a, we had a test run with you already, right? So I mean, that was the that was the the game that was being played at the last episode yeah. um, of last season. That okay, exactly. Yeah. That's when on. you that's it, when you were it, trying to tell me that I have to join the podcast without telling me I'm joining the podcast. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so it was a long game. So yes, as you can tell, um, not only have we revamped or restarted the podcast, I've also got a great new host, a Carl Lewis. Uh, which I'm really excited about and I'm looking forward to working with you for the next season and beyond. Same. And But before I do move on, I do want to just add um, something a little bit about Anik. Anik obviously is not no longer working with us, but I just want to mention that he was great to start this podcast with. The energy that he brought, the, the fun times I had with, with him doing the podcast and starting the podcast was great. And and it was really incredible just to share that experience with him. So it'll definitely um, be a presence that we missed on the podcast. I'm definitely going to miss him. But as I've said, it is great to have Carl here with me. And we've known each other for a while, right? Yeah, known each other for, well, since 2012. Yeah, when we were <laughs> fresh-faced master students. Uh, funny enough, we were discussing how how wide-eyed we were just yeah. a while ago. Yeah, I'm not going to repeat the story of the no. first question I asked. Yeah, I think <laughs> if, if your students heard heard what you said, <laughs> they will never take you seriously. So yeah, exactly, yeah, so we've we've known each other for a while, and I think it's worth bearing in mind. I think the dynamic changes in the podcast too, because once we used to have me as an academic and Anika as a as a non-academic, but now with both of us as academics, I think I'm quite interested to see how the interviews are going to change and how we're going to actually engage with our guests. Yeah. Oh, quick thing. Very important. Who, who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm uh, just like, here's yeah. my host, Carl Lewis. And it's like, yeah. Hi. Yeah, no. Thanks. Who are you? So my name is Carl Lewis. I'm a researcher at the ASSA Institute in The Hague in the Netherlands. I'm a researcher in international law. And uh, as, yeah, as Deepak already mentioned, I've been studying international law for several years now. Right now, I'm researching uh, matters of international law and legal theory, um, and that's me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about what's in store. Um, like I say, I think a new dynamic, which I think is going to be really interesting. Um, and yeah, yeah, let's see what happens. Let's see where let's see where we go with this. Everything is going to get bigger and better. Actually, <laughs> I say bigger and better. We're actually going to shorten ourselves and We're, yeah, and condense it. It's just uh, just you know because I think maybe one of the things that were perhaps a little bit negative about the last season was that maybe some of the episodes went on for too long so we're trying to condense ourselves yes. uh, going forward we have a time limit we've set ourselves right so yeah <laughs> we'll see how often we break that time limit yeah. so we're, we're already half an hour yeah that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's like uh, our, our guests will have like something really f- f- profound to say and we're like nope yeah you're done <laughs> <laughs> wasn't there a show like this maybe i remember I mean, obviously, we're going to cut this out. But what was that show? What show? Where someone's talking, then you have a certain time, and they just stop you. Oh no, that's not a show. That's a PhD defense in the Netherlands. 
<laughs> we're keeping that in there uh, <laughs> what that s done yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, talking. Just, yeah just get PTSD from your <laughs> that, that was it i had so much didn't want to remember my defense that i've just yeah. made it into a show that, yeah. was, that wasn't real uh great um so yes um a little bit about us and well we might just get get into the topic of this episode yeah um something quite different i'd say to anything we've done before but a very important topic i'd say yeah definitely so our first guest that we will interview uh leon chow is going to talk to us about loot boxes mm-hmm. do you want to explain a bit what that is deepak do you know what no we're gonna get straight into the episode perfect a bit of information about our guest today his name is leon chow Leon is a PhD fellow at the IT University of Copenhagen and a visiting scholar at the School of Law of Queen Mary University of London. He holds English law degrees and researches video game law, particularly the regulation of loot boxes, a quasi-gambling monetization mechanic in video games. Welcome, Leon. Thank you very much. When I was 17, I got my first debit card and suddenly the decision to spend money on the game became instant just a click of a button away, with no need to buy the vouchers and worry that my parents would find them. Money that my parents and grandparents had worked for had been given to me as f- savings for my future, I'd almost blown completely, blow- blowing out £3,000. My parents were heartbroken when they found out and read through the bank statements. This is the story of Jonathan Pennicott, who whilst playing the popular video game FIFA, lost thousands of pounds purchasing loot boxes, a consumable virtual item which can be redeemed to receive a randomized selection of uh, further virtual items, or loot as as is referred to, as he fell victim to the addictive gambling aspect of such a feature. Unfortunately, Jonathan isn't the only victim and FIFA is not the only game with loot boxes. This has become such a rising concern that several countries are investigating their potential danger, with Belgium leading the charge, banning loot boxes in 2018. Interestingly, in Leon Zhao's research, Belgium's legal approach to loot boxes has been examined, suggesting that perhaps a restrictive approach is not the way forward. So Leon, could you perhaps give us a little bit of an introduction into your research and some of the key themes that you are looking to tackle? Yeah, sure. Um, As already mentioned, I'm looking to basically just loot boxes in video game. Um, That's the plan for the whole of the PhD. I think I I personally... uh, focus less on whether or not loot boxes are harmful and in what ways they are harmful. And I focus more on when a country uh, through a piece of legislation or a company through some sort of a corporate social responsibility measure decides uh, to say, uh, we are going to do this thing in order to improve consumer protection. So I, I would go and look at how that measure has been implemented to see whether it's being complied with at all. And then secondly, if it has been complied with, has it been complied with in a way that is good or in a way that is suboptimal and perhaps slightly conflicted? For those who, for example, have heard of loot boxes, don't know what they are. What are loot boxes and why are they a problem? Even though, of course, you concentrate mainly on law, why would, for example, an individual, even a parent, for instance, consider loot boxes an issue? Yeah, sure. Um, so loot boxes are these products inside video games. So you would already be playing this video game. And once you're inside it, you can spend uh, a small amount of money for each loot box. Uh, every time you buy a loot box, you can get a random item or multiple random items. Uh, the, the important word here is random. Uh, whatever you get uh, after you purchase the loot box are randomized. The other thing that you want. Uh, yes. Um, 
So, so yeah, uh, you know, because of the randomization, it sounds like gambling. But uh, the thing is that in most countries, uh, gambling is defined in law in a very specific way. And most video game loot boxes do not fall within the existing definition of gambling. And so gambling law cannot immediately be used to regulate loot boxes. Now, Belgium, uh, as said, was the one exception. But in most countries, most loot boxes are simply uh, not regulated uh, generally. There are concerns about loot boxes. I, I think there are two main uh, concerns. The, the first being that it, it sounds very much like gambling. Now, even though uh, there is a legal definition of gambling and most loot boxes in most countries do not fall within the legal definition, I think a lot of parents and a lot of us have a common sense definition of gambling uh, that is not the same as the legal definition of gambling. And a lot of us, I think, might, might think that uh, loot boxes are gambling uh, according to our common sense definition. I think that's the first concern. There are children engaging with gambling, uh, even though uh, the law is, is not regulating uh, those loot boxes. And that, the second concern is more uh, empirical. And this relates to uh, a, a long chain of uh, well-replicated research, uh, finding that there is a positive correlation between loot box purchasing and problem gambling severity. Now, what that means is people who experience, or at least who self-report experiencing more gambling harms, tend to also spend more money on loot boxes. And the suggestion is then that uh, the video game companies are quite likely disproportionately profiting off of people who are experiencing gambling harms rather than, uh, for example, rich players. I feel like this has been a uh, topic that's got a lot of interest as of late. We look at the House of Lords in the UK is, is uh, looking into this issue. Uh, I think Norwegian regulators also um, have got some studies on it. And obviously Belgium and, and um, the Netherlands are places that you've researched and looked into. And I think perhaps the rising concern with it is because... Um, and, and, and someone who, who plays FIFA, uh, where you do see it a lot, you do see the the kind of connections with gambling. As for example, you know, one one of the ways in which you can spend money is buying uh, the, the cards or the packs. And and when you do get one of these really nice players, the dopamine hits are pretty crazy there because you go through this the hallway and it, and it lights up and you see all the, the flags. You think, oh, this could be like a great player. And then once you see the player, there's this explosion. And uh, you see all these fireworks and the celebratory aspect to it. And I think um, I think a lot of people are concerned with, with that aspect and, and how it is just drawing in younger people, the younger demographic. And, and that's perhaps where the real danger is. It's perhaps obviously, you know, those that are less or more likely to, to gamble, there is that danger that they're going to start using money. But then it is starting to create a culture at a young age of actually gambling or using money in this way. In this way. And I know there's been uh, recent studies, for example, in the University of Plymouth, Dr. James Close, who's talking about um, how loot boxes actually perpetuate uh, gambling behaviours. I mean, would you agree with this? Would, the, would you agree that this, there is this kind of rising concern with how, how loot boxes are, are being designed and how, how a lot of gaming companies are, are, um, are utilising loot boxes to attract more players? I, I, I would agree uh, as far as uh, that, that uh, a lot of loot box design seem to have taken inspiration from the design of uh, gambling games or, or even just um, things that are supposed to be very engaging. And I think one example, uh, you, you maybe have already mentioned this, uh, but, but in some games, uh, once you start opening the loot box, uh, you, it, it would... Uh, 
kind of show you all of the potential rewards on rotation, and then it would eventually stop on the reward uh, that, that you will get. But through this process, it shows you uh, the nice rewards that, that, that you are probably not going to get. And, and this is something called a near miss in a gambling context. And near miss in gambling context have been proven uh, to basically uh, get gamblers to spend more money. And, and so, of course, the, the concern here would be, are, are these things also making video game players spending more money um, than they uh, originally intended or they otherwise would have had this near miss thing not being implemented but uh, i i i uh, i would say that the current evidence is really not enough to suggest that uh, loot boxes uh, engaging with loot boxes is going to cause anyone uh, to engage more with gambling in the future or uh, or, or otherwise, we, we're not sure about that yet. I, I, I would agree that, 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 that there is concern and uh, a lot of uh, researchers and advocacy groups and policymakers have expressed their concerns, but uh, the empirical basis for that is not very strong. Yeah, I think that's a very important point that you make in terms of, okay, there's not perhaps enough evidence to show that this is going to lead to gambling. But perhaps one pushback I would have is we are having... Young children, so for example, the um, the except I had I had of a seventeen year old who's spending thousands and thousands of pounds. I think it, perhaps the concern is of now, right now, that that kids are able to access their parents' uh, accounts, their parents' cards, and then are spending thousands and thousands of pounds without realizing the the kind of the repercussions of doing this or of spending money like that. So it perhaps you know creating that. Um, perhaps detrimental culture around money uh, because of the ways way in, ways in which kids under 18 year olds are actually engaging with these games i don't know how you feel about that in terms of in terms of the short term not only just the long term there is, a, is there is a serious concern there and also quickly add to that um on the point is this understanding of money right so i'm no crypto person i have no idea how crypto works or nfts and all this stuff but there is definitely this movement at least for let's say children nowadays or young people should we say that they're being introduced to the idea of things that are tradable as if it were money and can be traded in the real world to for money but its value and how much is it's worth fluctuates so quickly i mean it could crash at any point and whatnot if there isn't if there's already an inclination for example that well I hold a new character as value for me as a child and I'm willing to gamble for it. And then later on in life, we, we have ways of, uh, let's say, interacting with capital, which isn't like original cash, for example. I think Deepak's point's right, yeah? If you're, if you're continuously having this idea that reacting this way to chance is okay in the non-real world, what happens when the real world world starts simulating <laughs> what what the video game worlds are like? Yeah, so I, I I would maybe double with Deepak here. Yeah, this of course this may not be your research, Leon. So we're not asking you to solve the problem. But I mean, is this one of the concerns that got you into this research, or or, or is this something that maybe we shouldn't be worrying so much as, for example, lawyers? No, I, I I think it makes sense in, in the context of you know you know I, I, as I was listening to your questions, I I I was trying to think of other examples where a child could potentially spend more or less an unlimited amount of money, and and I I was struggling to think of another example because you know for, for example a young person might want a nice new pair of shoes, it might be expensive, 
But I, I feel like once they bought that pair of shoes, they, they know how much they're going to need to spend. There is a value attached to it. And, and it's not going to be uh, an unpredictable, uh, unpredictable amount of money that they will have to spend. So, so yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it is a, a novel sort of transaction. And, and, and we, we are, we, 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 you know, honestly, we don't really understand uh, the potential implications. And, and there are, of course, uh, those negative consequences. Uh, but I, I, I would say, though, that um, I, I guess just on a practical level, I, I wonder just how many children would really have access to potentially thousands of pounds to spend uh, on, on loot boxes. Uh, you know, I, I would imagine, you know, it might not be very surprising if uh, some, some you know, young people have a few hundred pounds, for example, uh, to, to spend. But, but I, I think the amount of money that, that has been spent by uh, the person in, in that particular story uh, is, I think, more than what most young people would have access to. I, I mean, I was I was looking at a video the other day while, while researching loot boxes. <laughs> Um, but and Deepak and I were talking about this point. However, games have changed, right? In the sense that you don't go to the store. At least uh, I haven't been to a store in a while to buy a game. But you can just buy them online, right, through your console. And a parent may say, "Okay, I'll let me let me input my credit card details, and then that's how I buy the game." And then forget that the credit card details are there. And correct me if I'm wrongly. On you could even on a phone, you could just press, you know, buy, and that authorization authorization's already been done, right? So I mean, I can imagine. Thousands of pounds could potentially be spent here if an individual isn't careful, like a parent, to not put a block or a two-step verification or to just to keep an eye <laughs> on the iPad or phone, which is being passed amongst you know, uh, kids at home. Yeah, and I guess the thing here is you are placing the responsibility onto the parent or onto the child to uh, uh, basically to protect themselves when uh, the, the suggestion must be put that the video game companies created this situation uh, where, where this thing could happen. Um, so, so yeah. One one thing straight away that I get from when talking to you is that there is not only more research that needs to be done, but just more attention from various players on this topic. So to decipher whether there is concrete evidence to show that loot boxes do lead to dangerous gambling behavior or as you as you said in your in your paper or in your working paper that you know perhaps the the belgian approach of of just banning loot boxes is not the way forward so so would you agree to a certain to a certain uh, to a certain degree uh, that um, there's a lack of infrastructure there's a lack of perhaps work going into this area and and that there does need to be more of a collective uh, discussion and an action on this uh, on this topic of loot boxes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think more research um, definitely needs to be done. Uh, quite quite important is um, w- what I was saying earlier about how there is this positive correlation between loot box spending and problem gambling, and that kind of has been the uh, empirical basis upon which a regulation can be justified. The thing with that chain of research is all of those were relying on players' self-reports. So players were being asked to try to remember how much money they spent on loot boxes in the past year, and then to also complete a, a gambling-related questionnaire to self-assess their problem gambling severity. Now, that data collection method can definitely be improved upon. Uh, the video game companies have data on how much players actually spend on loot boxes rather than what players are remembering as to what they supposedly spend. Uh, we know from gambling research that uh, most most gamblers don't manage to remember exactly how much they spend. And even w- when they remember somewhat accurately, they might report it incorrectly just because of the way the survey uh, 
poses questions. So definitely uh, we, we can do better research. And also just in terms of if we want to actually find out whether or not engaging with loot boxes would cause someone later on to engage uh, with more gambling, we need longitudinal studies and those take years to complete. To my understanding, I know of at least one such study is already underway, but we, we, we're going to need time before uh, we have the results to that. So um, we, we, I, I think there is a problem here, definitely. Uh, but but what I think I, I try to argue in the working paper is we need to do something, but a, a ban is probably not the right approach when we're not so sure about the harms, uh, the extent of the harm and the severity of the harm. So let's zoom into that then, right? So let's zoom into your research. You looked at Belgium specifically, you looked at a ban. Tell us why Belgium is such a good case study and specifically what you found out. Belgium uh, is, uh, at least uh, if one researches using English, one, one would tend to think that Belgium is the only country in the world, the entire world, that has, uh, in quotation marks, banned uh, loot boxes. So what Belgium has done was that the Belgian gambling regulator in 2018 said that our gambling law is drafted in such a way that any loot boxes or any in-game transactions involving an element of randomization uh, would constitute gambling under Belgian law. And uh, such a product uh, can only be offered in Belgium if uh, the company has a gambling license. At the same time, the Belgian gambling regulator is not empowered by the uh, gambling law currently in Belgium to grant a license for any sort of these products in video games. And so the effect is that no video game company can possibly get a license to offer loot boxes. And so all loot boxes should not appear in Belgian games at all. And we also have data from other countries where we know uh, how many uh, games or rather what percentage of games uh, are known to contain loot boxes. And so if we know that uh, there's a certain percentage in other countries and then Belgium is supposed to have well, zero loot boxes, then we can do a comparison. And indeed, you were looking also at, if I'm not mistaken, just to, to make this clear also, we're not just talking about games on PlayStation, Xbox, just to name some random consoles. You're looking at phones. I mean, your, your specific paper, if I remember, was on iPhone games, right? Yes. So uh, I specifically looked into uh, iPhone games. And uh, this is uh, because we had data from previous years from other countries where we had the uh, prevalence rate of loot boxes or how often loot boxes appeared in the highest grossing iPhone games in other countries uh, in the past. Uh, that's why uh, this would have produced a, a comparable sample, a more comparable sample. But I, I do recognize that you're right, that the situation on console games might look a lot different compared to what it looks like on the iPhone market. Now, this is just one um, snapshot of what's going on on one platform. So, so reading your paper, my, my feeling, um, and you can engage with this, you could disagree or agree with this, my feeling was that it's, it's a great it's great initiative that Belgium have taken in terms of actually trying to find some sort of regulation uh, with in, in, in relation to um, loot boxes, but it was just one country doing it on its own and the lack of collective effort to deal with this matter and to deal with this problem is perhaps one of the biggest issues because you can use a VPN uh, to circumnavigate this problem or you can, uh, as your research shows, could easily avoid the, uh, uh, the, the, the loot box ban because 
that's actually not being enforced. It is actually the responsibility on the on the companies, on the gaming companies themselves. So, so me, for me, it was, well, if you want to regulate loot boxes a bit better, it can't just be one country. It's got to be a collective um, approach. It's got to be multiple countries, um, probably a global effort to really deal with this matter and to actually um, effectively regulate loot boxes. I don't know how you feel about that in terms of that's perhaps one of the biggest weaknesses with what Belgium have done is that actually it's on its own and it's not got the support to actually effectively impose its ban. Uh, I, I would agree with you that I, 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 I think in theory, uh, if this uh, problem, or rather if we really want to ban loot boxes, we need to ban it globally. Um, but I, I think even uh, in, in terms of a regional uh, proposal of banning loot boxes, for example, just banning loot boxes in an EU context is going to encounter, I, I, I think, at least two problems. And I, I, I've thought about this because this suggestion, of course, um, has been put uh, by, 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 by some stakeholders. Now, I, I think problem number one is that countries don't agree as to whether or not the loot boxes should be regulated, let alone banned. And there are some cultural factors to this. Now, now Belgium obviously has taken that particular angle, but other countries, for example, the UK very recently uh, uh, finalized a response to the loot box issue after a public consultation and has decided to take a much more uh, lenient approach. So I, I, I think it's going to be very difficult to try to even get a, a smaller region to agree, let alone the entire world to agree. And we really do need the entire world to agree. Uh, basically, you have uh, the, the game to have no versions in any country to have loot boxes before I think the circumvention would be prevented. And then the, the, the second issue kind of relates to this cultural uh, disagreement is um, gambling products. And, and there is an interesting line of case law uh, in the EU for the single market, which suggests that the gambling is something that, that is a little special and that the, the, the single market rules do not necessarily apply very well to gambling uh, because some countries are, are still do not have uh, legalized and regulated gambling. And um, uh, my understanding is that, that the single market permits that approach to be taken uh, by some countries. Which leads me on to something I think it, it naturally goes towards is, does this issue of loot boxes and, and the failure of perhaps, uh, well, well, we your suggestion that the, that the, loot, the Belgian ban is perhaps not as effective. Uh, does it lead to a, a bigger discussion about gambling as a whole and our relationship with gambling and how we regulate gambling? I, I do feel like the, the fact that you, you very much told us that it's difficult to enforce these things and there's perhaps a lack of impetus to perhaps um, really go forward with these uh, with these um, with these types of uh, moves and these types of positions, just because it is so profitable for these gaming companies. So does this does this give us a little bit of a, an avenue to discussing gambling as a whole, or or do you maybe perhaps think it goes in some other direction? Well, the the thing is, I I I mean I mean yes, trying to approach loot boxes as a type of gambling is, I think, one way to look at this. But I personally actually prefer a, a rather different angle to the loot box issue, which is, um, and, and, and I will suggest to you this: I I think loot boxes are different from gambling in a quite important way. So if you are a person who participates in gambling, you basically have to lose money for the casino to earn money. Uh, the, the house cannot gain money unless the gambler loses money. So uh, revenue generation is based on effectively causing harm. However, this is not the case, in my view, in relation to loot boxes. Every loot box that is sold 
is profitable to the company. So yes, it is likely more profitable if the company makes it such that players are wanting to buy as many loot boxes as they can uh, afford or even more than they can possibly afford. But companies could implement loot boxes in a way such that there is a limit on how much each player can spend on it and the company will still be earning money. So I would say that causing harm is not inherent to earning money for a video game company uh, monetizing with loot boxes, but it is, however, inherent to all the casinos and the traditional gambling games. So that's that's really interesting, right? Because now you're introducing this idea of causing harm, and then of course the questions come up, well, what do we mean by harm? Who causes it? How? Um, I wonder, however, whether we can really separate this idea of the casino and the game developer from loot boxes. Right? So of course, I'm new to the subject, uh, so Leon, correct me if I'm wrong. There's been a, a quite a big change with how much games can cost, especially if we're looking at our telephones, right? Our telephones? How old am I? Our mobile phones. <laughs> um, so now a game can cost, what, 99 cents, 99p, depending on whatever the small amount is uh, on the currency you have. And the profits made from certain video games is through the boxes. So actually, the primary revenue may be selling loot boxes how can we really say that that's not let's say preying on the same level of uh victimization of individuals as a casino ah because i i, I would suggest that um, most players and and i and in my view i i, I would think i would i would suggest perhaps 90 percent of players uh either spend no money buying loot boxes whilst playing those games, or they spend an amount of money that I, I, I do not think anyone would find objectionable. It, it is a, a small minority who uh, spend a lot of money on loot boxes and I think uh, potentially experience harm. But I, I, in relation to gambling, uh, this is the this is also uh, or, or I guess you, you can argue against me is of course the gambling industry also says that a lot of gamblers participate in gambling and they do not suffer harm. Um, yeah, I, I I I I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean I mean it's difficult, right? That's the whole point, and we're trying to find out what the difference here. I guess one of the points is to find out this difference between loot boxes and gambling. I w- I would also say that are most people gambling? I'd probably consider it's also a minority that gambles right it's not most of the population which has got severe problems gambling and i don't think the minority aspect of this conversation is probably enough to say right there's a big difference here actually i think if anything there could be an argument to be said someone who's walking into a casino at least knows right i'm taking this money i've got the chance of losing this money someone who goes to play I don't know, let's say FIFA, like deep, oh God, I don't want to get sued. Let's, like someone who goes to play a game of no name, which has loot boxes on it, is just going to have fun, but maybe enticed by the idea of, well, I want this new aspect of the game. I want this new experience. And then gets an addiction, perhaps, or indeed then finds himself spending money. In what sense is that not more harmful, or at least more, uh, yeah, more suspicious than the open casino? who, yes, of course, the casino will not tell you that the ch- your probabilities are very low of winning. But at least you know what you're getting into, right? I mean... Yeah, that, 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 that is a good point. And, and I think uh, in relation, I, I, probably one, one of the main concerns that um, gambling regulators have cited was that they were concerned that uh, because these loot boxes are now being included in children's games, that uh, a child might not even be able to tell whether they are participating in 
basically gambling um, or they are just playing uh, some part of the game because of course in, in, in video games there are also a lot of random mechanics um, so yeah they're, 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 it might be difficult uh, to draw that distinction and for me the, the greater concern is the way in which certain gaming companies are actually responding to this topic so so I, you know one thing i really like about your research leon is you definitely get the feel of we need to be quite open-minded about this and we need to investigate this we need to examine this we need to have a, a global effort but my feeling from a lot of uh, the gaming companies and again um, perhaps we are going to get sued because we keep mentioning fifa uh, but ea ea's response to all of this is well you know uh, some of the quotes that i've got is oh it's it's voluntary um you know it's it's an optional thing um, it, it enhances your experience. So it's almost like, well, it's not actually an issue for us. I mean, it's there if they want to do it. So it's just not, my my concern is that a lot of gaming companies are perhaps not taking on that responsibility to perhaps be a bit more responsible with the way in which they design these loot boxes uh, and not to have them formulate or structured in a way that is kind of resembling gambling there. So so in terms of the response of gaming companies, what, what do you feel um, they could do better or are they doing enough? Um, no, no, I, I, I definitely would be of the view that the video game companies can do more. And I, I would say, uh, even if they have done everything that I can think of and every other researcher can think of, there are still probably more things uh, that, that could be done because there's always more that, that, that could be done uh, in terms of improving the consumer protection. And I, I think that the main thing uh, that we have been arguing for was for the companies to share data so that we, we can at least figure out uh, more accurately what's going on. And other things are, uh, uh, I, uh, most of the major big companies uh, are making uh, what, what has been called a probability disclosures. So most companies are, uh, well, most of the major companies are telling players how likely they are to receive certain items to kind of enhance the transparency of it all. But there are still some companies that are not doing it. Uh, but in, in relation to those probability disclosures, we have found that quite a lot of companies show the disclosures in a way that is prominent or accessible they try to more or less hide it away so technically they've done it but it's not going to be at a place where players or parents can easily access so definitely more can be done i want to now shift the focus of uh, responsibility because i think deepak and i have been trying to see okay well you know let's make the developer the game developer responsible the game company responsible but there are, there's more than just the game developer in this relationship. There's also the player. And what I found really, and the legal system, if we're going to come back to your research, I want to come back to your research because you've written about how gamers can circumvent, right? The ban, a legal ban. So how gamers can go, get around it. And of course, how the law may not be able to respond to that. So could you quickly explain to us, look, his how law finds some hurdles which it has to jump over and those hurdles actually happen to be the player basically the the, the, the situation is that um belgium's ban has been uh, responded to by some of the biggest video game companies for example blizzard entertainment did comply with the ban by for example choosing to not publish a game that monetizes using loot boxes in the country at all but what the player was able to do was simply change their region to a different territory for example neighboring france and then they'll be able to download play that game and also buy the loot boxes in that game so it's very easily circumvented and and that i i think is very interesting because once the player starts doing that it, it would feel to me as if blizzard entertainment at least has tried 
quite hard to prevent this from happening. It has chosen actively to not even publish the game in the country. Um, and, and then, um, and, and this is what's interesting about Belgian law is actually if that player knows that uh, buying a loot box is illegal and they still do it, that is technically a crime. So when I was in Belgium, had I actually purchased any of those loot boxes, I would have been committing a crime of knowingly participating in illegal gambling. Now, I think most Belgian players are not going to, uh, well, I, I think no Belgian player will ever be prosecuted under that particular uh, crime. But, but uh, and, and also a lot of them likely don't know that what they're doing is illegal, but, but I, I knew. Um, but that that is quite problematic because you are criminalizing behavior and that that might lead to uh players uh, tending to perhaps uh, share less about the harm that they might be experiencing from this mechanic but i think this whole being able to circumvent the law is experienced in for example online gambling in in countries where online gambling is not legal you can always put out a vpn and participate and to my understanding not much is done about that uh, i i suppose some technical measures could be taken you could try to block it but but I, I, it's, it's a cat and mouse game and when, when the player is trying so hard to do it i i i uh, i i i really don't know what to suggest to be honest uh, because i i i i think uh, if they are trying so very hard to get around them, then who who can do anything to prevent them? So, um, so as we as we're wrapping the interview up, I think it'd be great to just get your final words on it. And my final question is: Where are we going with with loot boxes? And how would you suggest we use the law? How we how would we suggest we um, regulate uh, loot boxes so that that gamers do get a a safe experience where they're not vulnerable to the perhaps dark side of, of loot boxes and gaming? Um, I, I, I think, I, I guess, just kind of addressing the very, uh, well, the, the, the question that, that, that we were just on about is, I, I, I think we have to recognize that there are certain things that we probably can't fix. Uh, at least I can't think of a way to prevent the player who really tries very hard to circumvent loot boxes or loot, any restrictions placed on loot boxes. Uh, I, I don't think the law is really capable of doing much about that type of player. Uh, but but generally, what, what I would suggest uh, that countries could consider is some sort of licensing regime uh, for loot boxes. Um, uh, because if you license, you know, gambling is licensed, so, so, so I, I, I think it, it could be emulated. And if you license loot boxes, you can charge uh, a licensing fee, uh, uh, possibly even annually, uh, so, so that you can ensure that the, uh, the regulator has funding coming from uh, th this activity to, to, to continue to regulate it. And this is not uh, uh, a cost on uh, the public money. And I think through that licensing process, you could perhaps ensure compliance with some certain requirements. For example, you can require that uh, a probability disclosure must be made. And if there is a licensing regime of actively examining each game for approval, then you can check those games to ensure that they have complied. But then again, you know, uh, th this solution has uh, the, the obvious shortcoming of we still cannot prevent people uh, who just decide to play an unlicensed game or an unlicensed version of a, a game that is licensed in this country, but a, a different version of it uh, with, with worse features elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really think I have an answer to those questions just yet. Leon Zhao, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Leon.
Thank you very much. It's been a very uh, interesting discussion. So that was the interview with uh, Leon Zhao. Great to talk to a, a junior academic with, I'd say, such confidence and yeah, such amazing. such great such depth of knowledge. I thought was was really uh, really fascinating. And also to have someone give a different perspective, I really like that. In terms of he definitely had his own perspective based off his research, and it great. I, I think created a really great conversation between the three of us. No, no, I agree. It was interesting to to hear this. Uh, differentiation that Leo made between gambling and loot boxes. Right? I think you and I went in very much thinking, well, it's the same thing, mm-hmm. right? At least, and you know, any kind of insinuated at the beginning, right? So for the reg- the average person, they see no difference between gambling and loot boxes, but actually, a legal definition potentially does create this possibility of difference. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure. Yeah, do you know what? As as a parent, I'm, I'm terrified of loot boxes <laughs> I, I think our conversation shows a little bit our age difference actually in terms of Leon being perhaps a junior academic who isn't in his 30s doesn't have kids uh, or or might not have or, or might be having a kid might, in my own where we have to think about that where we think about okay if you have a kid and they're gaming and, and they're able to do able to just use your account and your card and, and you have no idea that they're spending all this money there is that worry whereas i think i can i kind of see leon's approach to uh to gaming is you know it, this should be a free world for us to be able to explore and not to be so regulated and and, and uh yeah. restricted by you know state bodies or or governing bodies so i think there's definitely a difference in in generation yeah in, in our in our take and our perspectives, and of course that's a legitimate take, right? I mean, his, his argument is perfectly legitimate. I think I'm really wondering about the practical aspects of this all, right? So, I mean, if at the end Leon's saying, "Look, it does, uh, the law can ban this uh, practice, but ultimately players find a way," it's like, well, then what? Yeah. <laughs> so this whole idea of licensing, yes, but I mean, to a certain extent, he he could also probably extend that argument to many other things. I, th- I think, and that's why I think the biggest takeaway for me is a simple ban is not enough. Yeah. You, you there is, as, as Leon's made quite clear, there's a lot of easy ways of actually just, uh, yeah. you know, avoiding this uh, restriction. Uh, first of all, the Belgium um, ban isn't even enforced uh, by Belgian authorities, so it's quite easy for you to just continue breaking the law in that situation. So, yeah, and I, and I mean, I saw... I think I saw some potential there for a discussion about the responsibility of uh, us, right? So we also, to a certain sense, have to think about this and understand, and maybe this is also why this conversation is good, to understand that these things exist, right? So mm-hmm. before uh, reading those paper, I, I, it didn't even cross my mind. I played iPhone games before or you know, mobile phone games before. The, the loot boxes didn't cross my mind because I thought, well, I'm not spending that much time on them. But the knowledge that, oh, these things do exist, you know, because you spend a lot of time. I mean, I spent so much time playing video games when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I think at some point my PlayStation told me I was spending too much time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a warning, like, you should probably rest your eyes. Yeah, so uh, knowing is, is useful. And I, and I mean, I think I saw, yeah, so I was watching this video online about it, about loot boxes, and there are things that, you know, people can do. If, if you're a parent and you're worried about it, you can have your phone send you an email saying, mm-hmm. hey, your account's been used, or hey, this is how much has been spent right now, or 
hey, authorization, two-step authorization. Mm -hmm. I, I think, and I think that's the most important part of actually looking at this kind of topic is you've got to be quite realistic about the situation. Yeah. Kids are going to be, you know, or anyone that's going to be addicted or attracted to loot box are going to find innovative ways yeah. of um, avoiding the bans or avoiding parents knowing or avoiding some of the restrictions that parents impose upon them. But there are a lot of ways in which um, kids or gamers are going to are going to avoid this, uh, avoid these kind of restrictions, and yeah. we need to be realistic about it, and not have perhaps a, too much of an idealistic approach to it, or yeah. too much of a negative approach to it. Actually, have some sort of middle ground, which I think is the biggest takeaway from 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 reading Leon's work. Is it's not black and white. There is a yeah. huge grey area here for us to discuss, which makes it even more important that we continue this discussion. We continue research, researching into this area. We continue. Uh, discussions with governing authorities, with other regulators, other organisations about this issue and about this topic. So we know more about it and we can make sure that the gaming experience is one that is safe. Fully agree. Okay, so that is episode one uh, done. A great way to start uh, the season. Uh, Carl, so far, it's been pretty awesome uh, to work with you. You <laughs> set a high yet. standard. I'm, I'm expecting <laughs> that to continue throughout the uh, throughout the season. So to all our listeners, continue listening to us. We are on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Google Podcasts. Check out the, uh, the website, houseofwisdompodcast.co.uk. And I think that is everything. Carl, yeah. wrap us up, please. Yeah, nothing. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode.